Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into the Fire. I'm on here with Bill again. Hello. And we're going over the first Catelyn Stark POV chapter in A Game of Thrones. And uh, it starts with... Uh, Catelyn had never liked this godswood. Um, a godswood was a... A grove of trees where um, the first men and northerners would uh, worship. They were kind of, I guess you'd say, pagan. And they would have a tree in the center of it called a wirewood, which uh, is magical in some ways, and it's going to be pretty important to the plot uh, later. Yeah, and the first thing that they do is the tr- the contrast the god's wood of uh, where she was from, which is Tully at River Run, which is in the south, and it basically describe it, I guess you could say, kind of like part of Southern California or something like that. Uh, I wouldn't or say it's like that. It's it's, well, it's not redwoods. that kind of climate. It has redwoods, though, so um, that's basically what that would be. Um, it can get pretty it can get pretty wet there, and it can be really green there. It can. Um, I mean, when you get properly into the south, I would call their climate Georgia-like or Florida. And uh, and it compares it to Winterfell, which, of course, is really, 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 as they say, gloomy. And it's also uh, really cold. Uh, uh, River Run isn't full south. It's... Uh, so, and it has, you know, different trees that are, of course, you know, they describe them as black and gnarled and uh, stuff like that. And they kind of, you get a very spooky sense of it. And I think I may be overestimating the heat of the south and King's Landing with Florida, but yeah, maybe Georgia's about right. So, yeah, in the, in the... Basically, every part of Westeros that's not the north, uh, and this includes where Catelyn was from, River Run, they have, they have uh, the Faith of the Seven, which I think that with the plot of the story, I think it socially and politically is probably a stand-in for Catholic Christianity, but it's... uh, seven gods the father the mother the warrior the smith the crone and the stranger um that are seven aspects of one yeah it's not truly christianity because there's no christ figure or son and that's kind of a big thing to leave out if that's what it's meant to be but well no it's meant to be like i think you described it really well one time where it's like it's almost like a weird combination of, like, Catholicism and Wicca, basically. Yeah, the, I think that's the mother, the maiden, accurate. and the crone, that's... Uh, I, I, th- I think that's a pretty good description. It has all, like, you know, the trappings and ritual and all that stuff of Catholicism uh, and the strictness of it with uh, a lot of the... Uh, it's like an expansion of those, you know, those beliefs that uh, Wiccan and neo-pagan beliefs have. And... Um... Her husband, Ned, had uh, built a small 
Sept, so that's, it's like a seven-sided church building for her to practice her religion. Even though the, the main belief up there would be, uh, the old gods and the trees. And the wirewood is described, its bark is white like bone and its leaves are dark red like a thousand bloodstains hands and it has a face carved into it with melancholy features and there's dried red sap that had um, bled out of it and made the eyes look like they're watching. Yeah, it was clearly done so uh, for for that sort of thing. And as it says, the, the old eyes older than Winterfell itself. And in the south, they had God's Woods too, but they were they weren't a place to worship. They were more. A place you'd go and hang out peacefully in the trees. And it was said that specifically the children of the forest uh, did that. Um, and the children of the forest is something we sort of get into uh, with this. We sort of uh, discussed they, it. They were there in Westeros before humans, and they could be compared to elves or fae. Yeah, although we don't really... Uh, don't really get into it yet. We don't get into it just yet. Um, and Ned is there cleaning his uh, great sword ice. So I'd I'd say he's not he does not feel good about what he just, you know, his duty of executing this guy that he uh, executed in the previous chapter. So he's there in his place of worship and cleaning and recleaning his blade. So and and that's one of those things where, uh, with Ned, you can kind of get the sense that he actually is, right now, the one person thinking about it uh, that we discussed last uh, chapter. Uh, what what exactly he... What could have caused this uh, Night's Watch veteran who'd seen probably literally everything... Uh, possible to desert, and he he actually does entertain that, and that and that's um, Garrett was basically mad when yeah. he was found, and uh, I mean, like he he'd snapped mentally from what he had seen. Yeah, and he was the fourth one this year, apparently, and. They, but of course, Ned is confident that it's the wildlings somehow. Um, and when Catelyn um, mentions that there are darker things beyond the wall, Ned is like, "You've listened to too many of old Nan's stories. The others, the others are as dead as the children of the forest. Gone eight thousand years. Maester Lewin will tell you they never lived at all. No living man has ever seen one." Yeah. And that's when Catelyn. Brings up that no living man has ever seen a direwolf either until this morning. Yeah. Uh, I think the wildlings see him. Well, we don't know. I mean, we don't know what... You, you see, George R. R. Martin kind of makes the status of direwolves uh, uh, a little confusing. Because, yeah, they're considered very, very real. But yet, somehow, nobody really had seen them. They're thought to be extinct. Um, well, that's interesting, of course, is that, you know, of course, they're not going to be very... Uh, you know, scientific about it, so to say, in the sense that they're not going to be like, oh, what evidence was there that they existed? What evidence of theirs that they, uh, 
the others or the uh, children of the forest existed. They just may or may not exist. Of course, that might be the reference to the maesters. The maesters saying there's no proof of this, but uh, and no maesters have proof. a definite anti-magic bias. Yeah, they 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 seem to think that uh, anything magical or any magical being it's is, a hindrance to scientific progress. And yeah, what what passes for science in the Westeros at least. It also goes on some about uh, the Valyrian steel great sword ice and how it had been forged in Valyria before the doom had come to the old freehold. Yes, this uh, Valyria was. A country across the narrow sea, and um, it had been destroyed in a disaster. Um, it doesn't really go into it in this part of the book, um, or really much to do with it in this book in general. But what happened to it probably was a combination of volcanic and sorceress. Um, There was a volcanic eruption. Um, there was a lot of... Uh, a four, 14 different volcanic cones active. Yeah. So, yeah, that will do it. Yes, it They will. go off at once. And, uh... So this sword was forged there with spells. It was 400 years old and as sharp as the day it was forged... And it had been named Ice during the Age of Heroes when the Starks were still kings in the north. Um, before the Targaryen conquest, um, every region had its own kings, and the Starks were the kings of the northern region. Um, they're only lords now, but... Yep. And... Their lords and their, uh, and of course Ned being the uh, hand of the king, he's the highest ranking. No, he's not hand yet. Oh, he's not hand yet. Okay. Yeah, I always uh, forget that. Um, he becomes hand because the other hand dies. Well, before I get into that, um, Ned says that the children are in the kitchen arguing about names for the wolf pups. And Arya is already in love with her pup. Sansa is charmed and gracious, and Rickon is not quite sure. Yeah, because he's only Oh, three. sorry, it was Catelyn who was talking about this, and Ned is like, is he afraid? And Catelyn says, a little, he's only three. And Ned, he says, he must learn to face his fears. He will not be three forever, and winter is coming. Yeah, that's where we first <laughs> get the line, and we get that line many more in the future. And uh, Ned, of course, uh, but he's men three. <laughs> mentions, yeah, he's three. Well, you know, three is, uh, you know, I guess the medieval equivalent of like, you know, ten or something to them. You know, was, who knows what the average lifespan of somebody in Westeros is. Um, probably pretty short given by what we've seen and heard uh, and read. Uh, and, yeah. and he talks about how Bran, and Bran is how old at this point again, Seven. sir? So Bran is seven. Bran was watching the execution because he had to. Because, you know, he's he's got to be trained to be a good, uh, a good lord. And, uh, and, you know, he was... And Ned said... And he's, he's not very, even the heir. Yeah, and Ned said he's very proud of Bran. No, Bran's... It's weird because Bran is not the heir, but he seems to be presented as, like, 
something is like the apple of both uh, Catelyn and uh, um, Ned's eye. Like he, they, it's clear that they very much love him, uh, and that's uh, and you know he even says, "Oh, you would have been proud of Bran." You know, seven-year-old watching daddy execute somebody. So. And after Ned puts away the sword back into its sheath, um, Catelyn brings him the news that the hand of the king, John Aaron, is dead. The hand of the king, um, he basically managed a lot of the royal affairs for the king, often more than the king himself does. So it's a very important position. And... Hands tended to get murdered or executed. It it was a kind of job that gave you enemies. Yeah. Um. Executed, I guess, if for whatever reason the king decided he didn't like you anymore. Um, but in this case, um, they didn't know why he had died. He died quickly and even the Grand Maester wasn't able to help him besides giving him milk of the poppy so there would be less pain. Milk of the poppy, that's opium. Yeah. I mean, if you know what opium is you're gonna know what that term means. Um. And um, the Hand's wife who is Catelyn's sister, Lysa Aaron, and her young son um, went back to the Eyrie in the Vale, so um, the mountain region, and where Lord John Aaron had lived, where his castle was before he moved into King's Landing to be Hand of the King. And Catelyn says that it's not really good for her that she went to this high, lonely place that was her husband's place, not hers, and that she should go back to River Run and be with family and you know, get comfort from that. And that it... Um, Ned's saying to Catelyn that she should go to the Eyrie and bring the children with her and... Um, it would be good for Liza, and it would be good for her son Robert to have kids around him his own age. I I agree. Robert should have some friends yeah. his own age, but yeah. we'll get into what uh, Robert and Liza are like later. Yeah. Um, and of course. And the rest of the letter is that the king is riding to Winterfell to seek out Ned. And... Well, that means the king is going to be bringing the queen and a whole, you know, large party with them. A hundred knights at the least, with all their retainers and half again as many free riders. So this is going to be a major... Uh, Along with Cersei and the ki their kids. Yeah, this is going to probably be like three to four hundred people or something like that. Something along those lines, if we were to have an actual, like, you know, realistic expectation. And Catelyn, of course, is, uh, she, she's 
dreading a few things. She's uh, she's seen these bad omens uh, about the uh, about the dead wolf. And yeah, she, so I forgot to mention this, but the yeah, go on about the dead wolf. No, she just—I mean, she just sees it as a bad omen. She's uh, she's feel it says how she's feeling dread, and the wolf was found with a stag's antler through its throat, and the wolf is the um the stark sigil, and the stag is the sigil of the Baratheons, the um the current. Yeah. King in uh, so, King's so, Landing. So it seems ominous to somebody who is like Catelyn. Catelyn is somebody who is uh, she's very she's on the religious side. She's somebody who would see those sorts of omens. Uh, they sort of make that very clear throughout the chapter. That that's the way she is. Um, and of course, she is she's suspect of Cersei. Uh, she mentions that sort of just that her. Uh, pride is said to grow with every passing year, which, you know, as we will later get into Circe, that seems pretty... That seems like just normal life in Circe. That's normal life world. for Circe, yes. Uh, so, and it... Oh, sorry, go ahead. And uh, it'll be good to see the children, and that the youngest would be um, seven by now, like Bran, Prince yeah. Tommen... And uh, we'll certainly we'll get into what the Lannister um, children are like later. Well, it really ends on an interesting note because, of course, you know Ned's talking about how crazy the uh, um, how it's going to be with the retainers and how they're going to have to have a feast and Robert's going to want to hunt and that's epic foreshadowing. And the yeah, and they're going to have to feed them all. And yeah, the Starks, their lords, they're they're rich by northern standards, but. Well, Not so by the resources. standards of... There's also only so many resources. I mean, it's made clear in the North that the North doesn't have that much that you can just drop in and, you know, expect a feast at any I mean, both time. wealth and food, um, the Starks are not on the level with a lot of the Southern Lords. Yeah. Where it's... And food again, is more... And again, it's shown that that's a uh, resource thing. Um, which makes sense. I mean, if you're gonna go to, if you're gonna go to a, you know, a colder area with less resources, you're not going to be able to have, uh, the same things. But of course, you know, he complains about it, and, and, and more foreshadowing, I think, uh, Ned says, damn the man, damn his royal hide. Um, and I think that a lot of this, I think a lot of this is set up to sort of be... Uh, very foreshadowing. The chapter itself seems um, to be filled with things like omens, and and of course it's a Catelyn chapter, and I think that it's sort of framed for her point of view uh, that something uh, something bad is going to happen, even if it's not right away. It's setting up that something, you know, something bad and dreadful is going to happen. And whether you believe in superstitions like this or not in real life. Um, it's a fantasy book. Yeah, they mean something. That yeah, exactly, and that's that's the way it is. Not even just in fantasy, just in literature in general. It's uh, it sets it up for that. So that concludes the cha- first Catelyn chapter. More to come later. 
And thank you for listening to Cast It Into the Fire. Stay tuned for the next episode. Goodbye.